You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank call. Prank call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. We got some phone calls. We're doing the darn thing. It's after dark, but we still try to keep it clean. Um, I am going to stop talking about the old calls, and we're going to start playing some of them. Um, I'm going to skip the ones that don't apply. I read the first one. Doesn't apply. Sorry, Garrett. It's gone forever. We'll never know about it. Garrett's second call. Ready and go. Hey, Ryan. It's Garrett again. Hey, I had another question regarding uh, Rayshon Gary. Uh, hmm. His PFS scores have been down, uh, but his sack numbers, you know, he's successfully gotten a sack in each game so far. And I was wondering if he's robbing Peter to pay Paul. And what I mean is, is he putting in more effort on certain plays to get to the quarterback and losing discipline in the contain or his tackling uh, in his effort to maybe, and I'm not saying that this is his mindset, but to maybe boost his, his sack numbers to gain that. Uh, success in getting to the quarterback and, and boost his pressures. Uh, I'm just wondering if, you know, you can't have it both ways sometimes or what your opinion is when it comes to his effort getting to the quarterback and uh, what are his numbers like looking at sacks versus his scores and is there a, a pattern when he's getting sacks is his scores a little bit less or when his scores are really high is his pressures less, just that kind of stuff and see if there's a pattern there. Have a good one. Well, I think I think it's a good point overall. Um, I'm going to kind of approach this from a couple different ways. First of all, this last game somewhat dismisses it um, just because he got two sacks and had like a 90-some-odd grade, so he was just dominant across the board. But there's, there's something else, and this kind of also flies in the face of PFF a little bit. I'm going to turn this light off because it's blinding me. I needed that on so I could do the Matt Ramage thing, but... Cool. All right. We're good now. Um, Quay Walker had a terrible PFF grade this past week. I think it's possible for the coaches to kind of set you up to fail. And, and, and that's somewhat of an unfair way to say it. But one of the things I've noticed 
is that different linebackers for different teams act differently. And I'm assuming it's coaching and it's scheme and it's telling them what I want you to do. One of the things that's always really annoyed me about the Packers linebackers is that they are by far the least aggressive linebackers. Um, one of the issues we've had every single week is getting our offensive linemen to reach the linebackers. That is to say, get up to that next level, get in front of them and cut them off before they're able to get to their desired attack point. We can't do it. And sometimes it's completely impossible for them to be able to do it. There was one play that I was watching where Christian Watson went in motion. The linebackers did motion with him and it was still impossible. But what they were asking them to do prior to the motion would have been just laughable had they not shifted with the motion. I, you know, maybe the offensive line does something different. I don't know. But, you know, the point is, though, they try to get to that next level. And the linebackers, if they just start running in that direction, we're never going to get there. Our linebackers get reached 100% of the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's an exaggeration, but it, it is every single time because they just kind of stand there. But what I realized is they're trying to take away explosive plays. If you look at that Chicago Bears game and what Daniel Jones did to them, I don't know if you watched the game. It's a very long answer to the question, but we're, we're getting somewhere here. I noticed this while watching Quay Walker. What they kept doing is they would do sort of that long, elaborate boot that Aaron Rodgers made famous by handing it off to Saquon and then really just kind of sell in the fake and then he would take off and run or throw it or whatever. And the Bears bid on that every single time. Why? Because the linebackers are aggressive. The offensive line will give you indications as to where to go as a linebacker. And there are numerous times you'll look and you'll see a gap and you'll say, why don't you run through the gap? The thing is, what I started doing is I would play the next play pause it as it's going along with no expectation of what's, I don't know what's coming and say, this is what I want the linebacker to do. And what I'd realize is a lot of times, especially with play action, you don't know. And it was funny because there was a play that I was doing that and I was playing it out. And I noticed there was no linebacker trying to reach um, Devondre Campbell, which gave me the impression that you shouldn't sprint to the sideline. A lot of times they need to sprint to the sideline, but in this case, they didn't have anyone try to stop you. So maybe just kind of slow down and don't do that. And Quay was on the other side. And Quay stayed with the quarterback, and he was doing that the whole game. I don't know if they had expectation. It's, this is even prior to Bailey Zappi, but they they seemed to have some expectation that Hoyer and Zappi were going to take off running. He was very hesitant to ever attack, which really hurt us in the run game because there were times when the offensive lineman is standing there basically saying, don't come this way, and Quay's like, all right, I don't want to because i got to keep an eye on the quarterback. And it's like, are you out of your freaking mind? Even at this point, the guy's already halfway through the hole, and you're not even committed to whether or not you want to attack the running back or the quarterback. But there was a play where um, whoever the quarterback happened to be did keep the ball and try to roll out. Quay was right in his face and blew it up instantly. These are the things they're trying to take away. And so it seems to me that the Packers, the way that they were doing things is to essentially almost concede these and hope that we can compensate and say, you know, Kenny's good enough and these guys are good enough to be able to compensate for the fact that we're kind of playing soft with our linebackers. That is to say, we're not committing 110% to this. Because there are other, I think I was saying the Saints, the Saints are crazy. They take off in a full sprint as soon as that ball is snapped. And sometimes, but the problem is, sometimes it results in a great play behind the line of scrimmage, and sometimes it results in they just bit, and now they're way out of position. Because that's the other thing. You don't even know what hole you're trying to go through. If you try to sprint through the first thing that seems like it's supposed to be there, you're going to walk right into a trap with some of these offensive lines and what they do. And now you are way out of position. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a no-win situation. If you're more patient like the Packers are, you're going to take away some of that misdirection and trickery stuff because they're not really biting on it. 
But also, there's a lot of plays where it's like, man, if you would have just gone full sprint through that hole, it was an easy tackle for a loss. If you would have just committed, you could have beat that offensive lineman. Instead, instead, you got reached and you were nowhere to make a play. And I do think with a little bit more effort, these guys could beat some of that and a little bit more timing and whatnot. But the point is, I think that's the trade-off that the Packers are willing to make. They're essentially saying, we're not going to let you take the big plays. And as a sacrifice, we're going to give up a little bit more on the ground. And and so we got kind of beat up on the ground. Our linebackers were nowhere to be found. And yeah, they got really bad PFF grades. And I bet if they were just cut loose and it was just go attack, 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 they probably would have gotten higher grades because they would have made more plays. They wouldn't have got reached by offensive linemen. They would have been sprinting to the sideline, making tackles, shooting gaps and all this stuff. But we also would have got absolutely carved up through the air. Maybe not because it's Bailey Zappi. And in that situation, maybe you do want to just attack. But I don't know. The point is, though, I do think that can be a situation. Depending on what they're being asked to do, you can either make more or less, you know, big plays or mistakes. And very obviously, if you're on the edge, and the Packers do a good job of this of trying to compress the pocket, so you're kind of doing two things at once. You're still holding the edge, you're just taking that edge and shoving it right into the quarterback's mouth. But there is somewhat of a trade-off between trying to hold the edge and trying to get a pressure. You know, that's the great thing about third and ten. You don't care about the edge anymore. You pin their ears back, you know, you, 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 you're going full speed. So it's, it's really hard to say. You'd really have to spend a lot of time watching them and probably know what it is you're looking at uh, secondarily. But there absolutely could be a situation where you're, you're doing a good job, but you're kind of not great. Christian Watson might be another great example of that. You know, if they're grading on him on his ability to run routes and that route's entire purpose was to draw away defenders so that the other guy could run free... That's kind of garbage, you know what I mean? So he's being put in a position where he's set up to fail because the ball was never going to go to him, and he's drawing double coverage, which is the intent of the route. You know, half the time, some of these routes are intended where you run right into the guy. You're not trying to get separation. You're running a route, putting that in air quotes, as you drill yourself right into his chest and push through him to create separation underneath as somebody comes across, and and now there's a big wide open gap there because you're trying to push your guy back into the other defender so he can't get over, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to say whether he's just not playing well on a play-to-play basis, if there's a certain area that he's struggling, or if, you know, he's he's doing too much of one thing and it's, it's hurting the other thing, or maybe it's just what he's being asked to do. I don't know. But overall, as far as Rashawn Gary is concerned, I couldn't be much more happy with what he's doing. Every time I've put eyes on him, with the exception of a couple times in, against New England, and I didn't watch every one of his snaps, but um, I saw, I think, maybe once, maybe twice, possibly that that he just got blown out of the way but for the most part he reminds me very much of Kenny where he just annihilates the guy in front of him every time so I'm I'm happy with what he's doing and if, if you know occasionally he's a little too aggressive and it, it, it hurts us or, or maybe he tries to get inside somebody goes outside you know whatever oops as long as he keeps bringing that 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 pain train, pain train is coming. Oh, 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 oh. then I don't care anyways next up we got every time I see Tom from Reno call in I wonder how Tony Romo got my phone number, because that's just what I see. Tom, Reno, Tony Romo, shout out. Ryan hey. from Green Bay. Not Green Bay. Todd from Reno, Nevada. Hey, Todd. Hey, I just want to call you after I listen to Tuesday's podcast. All right. And I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Um, not his play. I'm sure his play will be fine. Yeah. And he'll be, be all right. up there for MVP again as time goes on. He'll figure it out. I want to talk about, though, the white elephant in the room when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Why, why has it got to be a white elephant? Just Who saying. Is, 
the person impersonating him in these press conferences. Again, I haven't heard anything him say anything bad. Did you hear how he talked about the offensive line? He, they were asking him about, you know, how was the offensive line, and he said, well, David and Yash were good. The rotation worked fine. Uh, they gave me time to throw. Um, it was fine. I, I didn't have a problem with the offensive line all day. Now, I, I do – I watched the game. Yep. He did not have a lot of time. But I will say he had more time than he has the first two weeks, I believe. He did get a chance to actually stand up and look for a second. And it looks like at times he actually had a mini pocket and that because he did step up a few times and escaped. But this this nice thing, today on Pat McAfee, he was saying, Bill, Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time. He's been one step ahead of the game all the time. He is just a brilliant coach and a funny guy. Who is this guy? Um, <laughs> Romeo Dobbs, nothing but praise. I mean, he, he just, again, the offensive line, he could have said a few things, and he didn't say anything about the run game like it was bad, and he didn't say we have to do better. He has just been right on this line of who is impersonating you during these press conferences. It's the new and improved Aaron Rodgers, man. This is, uh, he's, he's at peace. He is at peace with the universe and he's happy about everything in his life. His chakras, the whole nine yards are just, are just humming right now. You know, freaking zero to 60, those chakras. So, um, no, he's he's doing good. So I just thought that was interesting on the offensive line. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, I, I'm really tired of the national media trying to have it both ways. The Everybody knew the everybody's circumstances. Tampa Bay was without Mike Evans and their receivers. Green Bay does not have any receivers for the last three weeks when you listen to the national media. Right. So... What what was the spread at game time? It was still Tampa Bay's favorite. Right. So Green Bay wins the game with no receivers, but Tampa Bay had no receivers right. all of a sudden. Yep. And and if they would have had one, yeah, he gets he gets. Well, all right. Let's. Uh, should we do the next one? I'll let you finish here. Hey, I didn't mean to drone on and on and on, but um. It's just the national media. Monday, it was just, well, Tampa Bay should have won that game, but they had no receivers. Right. And if Tom Brady had any receivers, they would have won that game. But before the game, it was Green Bay has no receivers. I don't know how they're going to win this game. And that's why they're going to lose, right. So that's basically all I wanted to say. Um, The alien taking over Rogers' press conferences and the national media dissing the Packers again. Talk to you later. Well, you're you're 100 percent bye. You're 100 right because I said on this podcast I played audio of them talking about. I think I did. Maybe I didn't. I was just ranting about it after watching it. But um, they were going on and on about you know the Packers just don't have any receivers in this game, so I can't go with the pack. Who does Tampa Bay have? That's what I was saying the whole time. I mean, again, if 
This is this is the point I made. If you want to say the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win, I'm fine with that. But don't say, I don't know, they just don't have any receivers, and not acknowledge Tampa Bay also doesn't have any receivers. So you can't count us out. And, and to your point, you're exactly right, and I can't 100% put it on one person saying this, but I'm sure somewhere out there there's a person saying this. But the general tone was the Packers are in trouble because they don't have receivers. And then they win, and it's, yeah, well, that's because Tampa didn't have any receivers. Excuse me, that was already baked into the cake, bud. That was already baked into the cake when you said we were going to lose. Their receiver situation and our receiver situation was right there for everybody to look at. Everybody got to see the two rosters prior to the game and concluded that Tampa Bay would win the game. The Packers overcame their adversity and everything else that culminated into them being underdogs, and they won the game in Tampa Bay, in Florida, in the heat, against Tom Brady, against the Buccaneers, all the things that are supposed to be working against them with no wide receivers, all that stuff. They overcame it and won. Now your job is to shut up and give them credit for what they did and not just go, well, that's only because Tom doesn't have Mike Evans. That was already a thing. All right. If if you want to run with that, fine. But you have to go back and show me the clip where you said the Packers are going to win because Tom Brady doesn't have Mike Evans. But you know what? Nobody said that. Probably some Packers podcasters, but it wasn't me and it wasn't anybody else I heard in the media. It is dishonest. And granted, I think part of it was ignorant because I know at one point somebody was like, I don't know, the Packers don't have any receivers. And somebody else was like, well, who does Tom Brady have to throw to? And she was like confused, like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So you just don't know what's going on. Okay, well, thank you for your prediction anyways. Tom did call back again, but it was about kind of that last game, so I'm going to cruise past that one. Mike wanted to call in about New England. So sorry, Mike, I'm skipping your calls as well. Anyways, let's get to the new calls. Garrett, you're back on the line. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Um, It's Monday, and my reaction to how the game went yesterday... um, I, all I can say is my heart rate is still through the roof and the heart attack pack is still, still got it going. Yep. I don't know what to say other than I'm glad for the win, but, uh, man, that defense, it flashed again of just greatness and Gary making plays left and right. Um, but still don't understand how sometimes these receivers are getting wide open. Uh, I hope these guys can figure it out. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. And then Dobbs, what can I say about Dobbs, man? It's like, man, I can't believe he couldn't pull that in. But uh, the guy is, is making strides. All I can say is he's uh, definitely on his way. Uh, I just don't know what happened to uh, Watson in the second half. Just didn't show up at all. I didn't see what happened if he wasn't playing for some reason or what. But um, Yeah, so on the Watson thing, he was almost never out there. He just he didn't play. Um, and he literally wasn't on the field. I don't think a single snap in overtime. That was kind of like, we only want veterans. And they, they were mostly running the ball in overtime, so it was a lot of, like, big boy package. They had the offensive line, two tight ends, and then it would be, you know, like Lazard and Cobb, and that's it. Like, we don't want any inexperienced people on the field, period. So, I mean, he he did the best with the opportunities he had. He just has no opportunities. I went back and watched all his snaps and it was just combing through the whole game and just never seeing him. And then when he's out there, he's mostly either blocking or running some kind of decoy route or running the jet sweep thing or just some motion where he did. He didn't get a lot of opportunities, period. Um, on the other stuff, though, Gary, yes, dominant. 
and heart attack pack. Yeah, I'm, it, it is getting old. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, it's every game. And it, it gets to be frustrating when you're big time favorites and you pull up with like a three point win or a two point win or whatever it ends up being a last minute overtime. Um, you know, I, I just, I wish, I wish we could have a couple more of these, you know, by halftime, we're just sitting pretty type games. It's funny because I've heard other people comment about Packer fans kind of being unique in that way. A lot of other stadiums, if it's kind of over by halftime, even if you're winning, it starts to clear out. Packer fans do not leave like that. We love that stuff. I don't know if it's just like a weird thing with us or what, but like, I can't imagine why anybody would leave. This is awesome. But yeah, people are like, oh, it's pretty much over. Let's beat the traffic. Heck no, dude. This is best case. This is what I bought the ticket for in hopes that it would be a 47 nothing shutout. I I hope it somehow goes into overtime. I don't know how that would work, but man, if we could have one more quarter of just domination and run up the score, see if we can get to 70, that'd be dope. We're a weird breed, but we never get what we want. Um, man, I just can't wait to see these guys when they're all clicking on all cylinders. It just, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a sight to behold if they can just get it right and uh, start getting everybody, seeing everybody open, and we'll see what happens. But it's win is a win, but man... Uh, I did way too much sweating watching that game. Have a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's not fun to to have such a negative feeling. And, and you know, I don't know how you react to these things, but I just, I, I get very upset, you know, especially when it's the same thing over and over again. That that running thing where they were able to run against us, you know, even even Kenny Clark said that that really gets under our skin when a team can just run on you, which, as I said, I mean, that, that has to go to your core. Um, as much as people might say it's all about stopping the pass, as a human being that plays defense and wants to tell everybody you're a top defense, when you can't stop the run, it is emasculating. Because you can get all the stat nerds in the world to come up and be like, no, 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 actually, you guys are really good because it's all about the the pass defense. And if you look at the yards per play, you're actually doing quite well. And the correlation between that and, and success in the NFL as well as Super Bowls is actually uh, uh, correlative. Doesn't matter. That grown man pushed me across the field, and I feel sad. And Mr. Nerdyton, Nerdy Nerdington can get out of my face. But yeah, it's just, you watch that stuff, and it's the same thing over and over and over, and it's like, I'm really, really tired of watching this. Please make a stop. Please just make a stop. And they, uh, I mean, eventually they did, but yeah, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets a little old. Hey, Pat Getty, it's Nate. Hey, man. Um, I had a question. So right. I've been seeing a lot of hate for Josiah DeGuara online, uh, which isn't a weird thing. It happens a lot, I think. Um, we seem to kind of hate on him as a, as a fan base in general. But I, I want to know because everybody says he's struggling and he's not doing a very good job as a tight end. But he was brought in kind of as a tight end, also H-back role, and for the life of me, I was trying to think of somebody who is in the NFL currently who's played that role well because it is kind of a new concept. I can't actually think offhand of a tight end in the NFL who does the H-back role on top of also being the tight end blocking and receiving tight end. You know, Is there somebody who does that job well in the NFL that Josiah DeGuara could be comped to, I guess? Um but otherwise, I, I I hope he breaks out this year still. But he has been kind of having a, a rough go of it lately. Go back, go. I am. This is why I love this show because well, there's a lot of reasons why I do. But every once in a while, somebody asks a question, and that light bulb goes off. Like, oh, that's a great question. 
Now I just got to think of the best way to find an answer to the question. So the, the, the way that I kind of break down the different tight ends, or at least in my mind, the reason that it's different is their alignments. You know, Mercedes Lewis is like 95% in line. Then you go from that to Tyler Davis, who is sort of, he's, an in, he's very in line uh, as far as his alignment, but he's a receiving tight end. So he's an in-line receiver. Obviously, he does some blocking. Mercedes does some receiving, but it's, it's different in that way. Um, then you would go to Josiah DeGuara, who is a sort of in-line, but also off the line. You know, the H-back slash fullback. Slash, so that's kind of his realm from the, you know, he'll line up in the halfback position. Sometimes. Sometimes slot. You know, they're all all over the place. But that's sort of a difference. And then, obviously, with uh, Robert Tunyon, he lines up in the slot a lot because he is, you know, a receiver guy. And so that would be the way to differentiate. For example, if you look at the tight ends in Green Bay, you would, you would say, okay, which one is like Tunyon? Well, you find the guy that's in the backfield the most, Robert Tunyon. He's done it once this year. Mercedes Lewis hasn't done it at all this year. Josiah Aguara 15 times. And considering the, you know, few amount of times that he's done really anything else, you know, out of 15 out of 50, it's a very high percentage. The only thing he's done more is slot 18 times, inline 14 times, and then out wide three times. So clearly the, the, it's kind of an even split between backfield, inline, and slot. So that's kind of the, the comparison we're looking for. And so since there's no easy way to do this, I wish there was a way to search these things, but there isn't. The only thing I can think to do is to look at the top tight ends and see how many of them are in the backfield. And there are only about 10 tight ends right now with a 70 overall grade, so I will go with those 10 and then we'll leave it at that. But Travis Kelsey is, he might be more of a Tyler Davis. Very little backfield, but in line and slot and out wide are kind of evenly split. It's kind of a Tunyon thing, I guess, but he's not in line as much. He's, he's, he's a Tunyon. I'm guessing most of these guys are going to be Tunyon types, which to be honest is probably primarily your point. Most of the top tight ends are the guys that are lining up in the slot going out catching passes. Uh, Mark Andrews, twice in the backfield, 53 times in line, 114 times in the slot. So he's very heavy in the slot. Pat Fryermuth out in uh, Pittsburgh. He has never been in the backfield this year. David Njoku, uh, backfield once. Uh, Will Disley is having a good year. He's well, He's been in the backfield 12 times, but compare that to 114 times in line. No. Uh, Daniel Bellinger in uh, New York. Nope. De- Kyle Pitts. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, Kyle Pitts, he's actually been in the backfield five times, but compared to 71 times in line, not so much. Gerald Everett. I'll, I'll do a little bit more in depth because I am curious to find like one other guy that does what what he does. Uh, Foster Moreau has not done it once. And then finally, our buddy TJ Hawkinson has not done it once. So I, I'm, I need to find one. I'm going to pause this and keep looking for a little bit longer. All right, so I've come to the conclusion after looking at every single fullback and 30 tight ends, there's really only one Josiah Aguara. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody somewhere... Uh, actually, you know what? Oh, there's only 44 tight ends. Give me another minute here. All right, so filtering out guys that haven't had many snaps, which is maybe where you're going to find your Josiah DeGuara. Uh, I looked through every single tight end, every single fullback. There is no Josiah DeGuara. I found the closest two because fullbacks are primarily in the backfield. Tight ends are primarily not in the backfield, usually very rarely. The closest tight end I could find is Dawson Knox in Buffalo. 
He has 22 snaps in the backfield compared to 91 in line, 70 in the slot, and 24 out wide. So clearly he's still not in the backfield nearly as much as our guy is. But again, fullbacks usually in the backfield. That is for the exception of Patrick Ricard, fullback for the Baltimore Ravens. But even he is more of a tight end (laughs) than a fullback. 52 snaps in the backfield, 80 in line, 25 in the slot. He's probably the closest that I can think of, but at six foot three, three hundred and five pounds, uh, registering as a fullback, I'm thinking maybe this isn't your best example. So I guess Dawson Knox, but yeah, no, there's there, there's one Josiah. I don't, I can't really help you with finding anybody that does anything quite like him. I know a lot of people think Kyle Uzcheck, not really. Kyle Uzcheck is is uh, I mean, he's a fullback. He's primarily in the backfield. That's not what our guy does. Good question. I wish I'd have found somebody because I was a, you know, it would have been nice to find an answer, but I couldn't find one. Why don't we take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Uh, FertileGroundRanch.org if you'd like to support uh, my father's ministry, it would be very greatly appreciated. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, Ryan. This is Travis from Fredericksburg, Virginia. What's going on, man? I was just calling with uh, really just one little thought after listening to uh, the couple episodes that came out today. Right. Um, it was touched on for a second, but I really want to kind of harp on these uh, delay of game penalties that are getting brushed over. Okay. Um, this is now two weeks in a row that we have had back-to-back plays that should have been delay of game. But, you know, in the first instance, the first one was ignored. The second one got called, which yeah. really helped us out on that goal line two-point conversion stop. But then this week, I missed the first play. I had friends over for the game. I, but the announcers were saying how the play before looked like it was a delay of game. And then the second one, which was egregious, where you saw the clock hit zero, tick for a second, reset to 40, and then the ball was snapped. Um, and then that one leads to a touchdown. I mean, so now this is two weeks in a row where we've had delay of game calls that are missed that lead to touchdowns for us late in the game where it's a competitive game. Why is the NFL – not allowed delay of game penalties to be 
a reviewable or reversible call. I mean, I get the whole you can't change plays on penalties that are missed, but when it's something that that is that's that egregious and it's that noticeable to anybody watching the game, uh, I just don't get how we cannot do anything about it. And normally it seems like last week they kind of brushed past it. I mean, this week the announcers were all over it. Yeah. They showed the replay numerous times. Yep. They brought in Gene Steratore to tell us that, like, yeah, they missed it. It's bad. But, hey, we're still going to give them the touchdown and, you know, let this game play out with a bad penalty that, you know, should have been called. Uh, yeah, so that kind of got me going. But uh, on a more fun note, I just kind of wanted to know, who's your favorite Packer player? No, no nothing behind. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, so I, I Goose called in. I think you called before we did the whole thing with Goose. So I kind of touched on this already. I, I tend to agree. And, and there's so much that goes into this. I, I, I will assume that there's some kind of a good reason that they came to this conclusion. I understand the idea of we don't want to just sit and review every single little thing. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree when, when it's something that egregious and everybody can plainly see it and it's not a big deal to just make it right. And, and you know, it was weird because that entire play, I'm standing there like we're, we're just expecting a flag and I'm listening closely like there has to be a whistle. I mean, I was, I was basically cheering like we got him. It's, it's, it's another one, right? And then they throw it into touchdown. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's somebody blew a whistle. There, there has to be. I, I was in complete disbelief that 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 could go uncalled. And then my very next thought was, they review all scoring plays. There's a very easy opportunity to make this right, right? Somebody somewhere saw this. Everybody. Maybe the people on the field didn't notice it. Fine. But there's people all throughout New York, these people that are, that are in the ref's ears. And I understand there's a rule now that says you can't do it. Whatever. But that just seems crazy to me. Like you said, everybody's there going, yeah, that was bad, but we're not going to do anything about it. Why? Do something about it. And, and it's this whole thing where it's like, well, you know, where do you draw the line? I don't know, man, but it's somewhere on the other side of this. You know, there, there are certain things that are so egregious, and, and it always takes something egregious before we can change it. Here, here, here's a thought. If you don't want it to just slow up every single thing, fine. There's already a rule that says we review all, all scoring plays, right? Considering how critical every single scoring play is, I think it's okay to go back and look at all penalty possibilities. And I'm not talking about being super nitpicky about a, a hold or he, he kind of sort of got his hand around him. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about let's just make sure we didn't miss something major. Like the clock hit zero three seconds before he snapped it. Or like did the guy that caught it push off? You know, was, was there an illegal block on the play? Look for big things that caused a touchdown that should not, you know, the, the touchdown wouldn't have happened had we caught this penalty. See if any of those exist. If not, fine. Take, take the 30 seconds to review the play. And we'll just continue on like nothing happened. But just take the time and make sure. I, I mean, generally speaking, I don't really care if we, I, I talked about it when Goose called in. I don't really care if the people in New York are combing through. And yeah, it's going to be real annoying when the play just goes on as normal and then we're starting to get set up for the next one. And oh, oh, New York called. Hold on, we got a penalty. It's going to be like, oh, come on, man. But at the same time, you know, there are going to be opportunities where it's like, that was egregious. Where is it? And then it comes in. It's like, thank you. I mean, look, listen, at the end of the day, I just want them to get it right. I think that's what we all want. Just get it right. And, and especially on egregious calls. And, and those are things that can easily be fixed by just allowing the people in New York watching the game, to call down and say, hey, you guys missed one, you better throw a flag on this. 
or, or vice versa. You need to pick that up. That's a bad call. Just let them do that. I don't know why we have to be so, you know, like we don't want to interfere. Why? What we want is to get it right. So get it right. And there's, you know, there's going to be mistakes. Fine. We've seen reviews that come back and they make terrible calls, but at least you're trying to do it right. At least we're looking at it. You know, nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll reverse it and get the right call. I mean, you could almost borderline eliminate the need to even use challenge flags, you know, because every play is kind of challenged and reviewed. And I'm not talking about even slowing it down. You know, you've got until the next play to, to do something, just like, you know, they can hurry up and try to snap the ball before you throw a challenge flag. You can hurry up and try to snap the ball before New York gets in the guy's ear and like, hey, throw a flag. So that would be my thought. And, and some people probably wouldn't like that. Because, well, you're going to slow up the game or whatever. Again, I, I, I just want it right. I don't want to lose games because some Yahoo on the field didn't notice the, the clock hit zero 45 minutes ago. I, I mean, and that, the fact that it just happened. I mean, it, some people are like, well, maybe it's because it just happened. He assumed it wouldn't happen again. You would think it'd be on the forefront of your mind, wouldn't you? How do you forget to look at the clock when you just caught him doing it? Like, oh, I forgot that was my job, even though I literally just did it. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, go on. Sorry. And it's just like, who do you enjoy the most to watch? Who do you enjoy the most to talk about? Um, I'll go ahead and let you know. For me, it's Aaron Jones, man. Yeah. <laughs> I had some buddies watching the game with us yesterday. They're Ravens fans. But every time he touches the ball, they're just like, my God, that guy, he makes something out of nothing almost every play. Yep. And not only that, he's one of the most diehard Packer through and through you know, yep. they bleed green and gold. Yep. That That's your guy right there. Um, watching him on the field, watching him off the field, I, I just love that man to death. And I know he's having a hell of a year right now. So it could lead into that. But, uh, yeah, so that was just a more fun-sided question. You know, who do you like the most? You know, don't don't pretend like you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You know, I, just, just let us know. Uh, that's all. Great game yesterday. It was, you know, stressful to watch. But, hey, we got to win. At this point in the year, that's all you can ask for. We're going to look uh, like a totally different team come December. But uh, that's all. Go Pack Go. So I like the way you phrased it because I usually don't think of it that way. But, you know, when I go back and, and watch the game, you know, whether it be all 22 or whatever, there are certain certain assignments I give myself that it's like, I don't want to do this. And, and a lot of times I'll just give up because it's like I'm not enjoying it, so I'm just not going to do it. You know, I, I, that's why I, that's why I have a podcast. That's why I do these things because I enjoy it. This isn't going to be homework for me, you know, pulling up all these stats. It's because I want to, I'm a dork. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, j- just to, to name a few, Aaron Jones absolutely is, is insane to watch. Um, Rashawn Gary would be another one that's high on the list because he's just so dominant. You know, I mean, I, I, you like to watch guys that win, you know, obviously, and if you're talking about guys that win, it's hard to pick anybody other than Aaron Jones and, and Rashawn Gary. Kenny Clark is another one. It's maybe not quite as exciting to watch him sometimes, but it's still exciting. Just manhandling people. And I tell you what, I you know you can tell by the way I keep talking about him. I do enjoy watching Christian Watson. I wish the ball got there. You know, I think everybody will get on the train and start enjoying watching Christian Watson when Rodgers has time to throw decides to throw, and Watson can actually catch it, right? We've got several steps in the process that need to get cleaned up. We need better blocking. Rodgers making a decision to throw. Rodgers, you know, throwing a good ball. Christian Watson catching it. But once those things start happening, we're all really going to enjoy it. But I'm still enjoying it because, you know, again, I just, I don't remember ever looking back and seeing a guy just fly past people. 
you know, we, we've had these guys that are supposedly these speed guys, you know, Trevor Davis, yeah, kind of, Jeff Janis, yeah, kind of, MVS, sort of. But again, people were usually stride for stride. I mean, occasionally MVS would have a guy beat, he'd have a step on him, that's true. And I'm not saying he's not fast, but there's a difference between fast that can occasionally get behind people, and if, if you get a step, they're not going to regain a step. And then there's Christian Watson fast, and I'm just telling you, I just haven't seen it. And maybe I just haven't been paying close enough attention, but the guy sails past people like they're standing still. And and the the fun thing is, as far as gauging speed, is watching the other guys, because even when he does these jet sweeps, it doesn't look like he's moving very fast, but watch the other defenders run for their lives trying to catch him while it looks like Watson is jogging. I mean, Rodgers talks about stride length, and it's it's incredible because... Yeah, you look at his legs and they they don't seem like they're moving all that fast, but you know, th- there was a play that as as I mentioned, it seemed like Rodgers wanted to go to him, but Elton kind of got blown up and the, he couldn't get the ball out there. But you watch how far down the field he is compared to all the other wide receivers by the time they go into their breaks, because obviously once they're slowing down, you can't really compare anymore. But he's got, you know, 4 or 5 yards on him already. And then just watching him just glide, I mean, he just glides. The way he runs is so smooth. He glides. And it just doesn't look like he's even trying. And he just sails past, and you watch these guys try to flip their hips and just run, and their legs are just kicking a million miles an hour, trying desperately to keep up with them. And, and he's just kind of jogging down the field, and he's got, you know, you know he's, he's not pulling away super fast, but he's got a couple steps on him, and he's open. And I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, uh, maybe it'll never be anything. It's possible it'll never become anything, and he'll end up busting out. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it right now because... I like watching people just dominate. You know, I, I was that guy that played Madden back in the day when you'd set, you know, when you'd build a character and I would do all 99s and then make them like, what, six foot 11, 390 pounds, like whatever all the maximums were. That's what I did. And I thought that was fun. It was just fun to me. I don't know why. Because he's dominant. He's a big, fat, strong, muscled up, fast guy. 300 some odd pounds and he's faster than, than all your guys. It was, it, was, it was, you know, you make him the quarterback and you take off running breaking tackles. You make him a wide receiver. You could lob it up to him. Nobody could stop him. You make him a running back. He just runs through people. It was glorious. I like that. I like the freaks, you know, and they're freaks among freaks. Rashawn Gary, the guys he's beaten are, are the best in the world at making sure nobody gets past them. And he pushes them back like they don't exist. Kenny Clark's doing that stuff. Again, Aaron Jones, he just, you talk about gliding. I, I, I can't find the words to describe what he does. I've tried seemingly every day on this podcast for the last couple of weeks. I cannot find the words to describe what he does, other than he's cheating. So yeah, I mean, there are, there are some special people on this team. And again, I just think Watson's one of them. I love Romeo Dobbs, and I'll acknowledge he's miles ahead of where Christian Watson is and all that, and he's twitchy and, all, and, and everything else, but he's not necessarily different. He's becoming a good wide receiver like a lot of other guys are good wide receivers. What I like about Watson is he's a freak, and he does things that, that other guys cannot do. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll probably never be as good as Devontae Adams, but he can do things physically that Devontae could never in his life do. And I, I just, I don't know, I, I appreciate that. I, I like the, and that's, you know, Rashawn Gary. That's, it's a good thing I'm a Packer fan because the Packers like freak. You know, Stokes is a freak. Jair is a freak. Rashawn's a freak. Savage is a freak. A.J. Dillon is a freak. The size-speed combination that guy has, it, the, the, those things don't exist on planet Earth, aside from a couple people. Two of them are in the NFL, Derrick Henry and A.J. Dillon. Probably a couple other running backs. What, Fournette, I think, was another one kind of similar. The size-speed just is insane. So that's what I like. And it's kind of like I was talking about how I'd, I, I wish the Packers had more blowouts. You know, I don't know. 
that's just how I'm wired, I guess. A lot of people like the competition and the, you know, the close win in the end. I'm I'm the guy that if the Packers won every game every year, won the Super Bowl and won by 50 points, I I would enjoy it every single time. <laughs> I mean, there there would be that probably that element of like suspense that would be dimmed, which would suck. So maybe that's not entirely true, but I just appreciate that. I I, I appreciate what some of these some of these guys are doing, and so um, yeah, that that would be Aaron Jones, Rashawn Gary, Christian Watson are probably my three favorite to just, if, if you sat me down and said you get to watch one guy, it might be one of those three. Probably would be one of those three. It's no disrespect to Aaron Rodgers. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to see it anyways. If he throws a Christian, I'm going to see the throw. It's going to be a beautiful throw, and I'm, I will enjoy it thoroughly. I'm kind of cheating with that. Anyways, let's, uh, let's keep her moving. Hey, Ryan. This is your least favorite Minnesotan. Oh, geez. I didn't know I had one. Calling back again. I just have one thing to say about the positivity negativity thing about how the Packers are doing right now. All right. And I'm sorry, I'm at work, so I might be whispering a little bit. All right. At least, at least you're not in bed with your wife. That's all I can say. <clears throat> that was an inside thing with another caller. He was doing that, and it was creeping me out. In Minnesota, Minnesotans, Vikings fans are absolutely hype about their team. Yep. And if you look at how they beat New Orleans in London. If that game takes place in the Superdome down in New Orleans, I think they lose. 100%. I think they lose big time. Yeah. And I think the Packers scrapping out a win at home against a game plan they were not prepared for is a better sign than the Vikings winning in a neutral field to a team they should have lost to. That's just my two cents. I still have concerns about the team. I think the O-line is the number one thing. Yeah. I think our receivers look a lot better if Rodgers feels more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think that – I don't think it's as big a problem as everyone would, would, would want to believe it is right now. I understand the want to go straight to fear, but why be afraid when – the rest of our division kind of looks like crap. All right, that's my two cents. Um, go, Pat, go. Yeah, the the rest of the division should be able to buy us some time because you know they're going to be floundering as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as the Minnesota Vikings, it it is interesting the different dynamics between the teams. Um, it is one of the, I guess, negative things about Packer fans is we have much higher expectations than all the other fan bases do. And that comes off as being kind of negative, even when positive things happen. I was watching a Vikings uh, YouTube video, whatever, and he was going on and, and talking about how you know the Packers barely beat and they look like garbage. And all this. it's kind of like, you know, we're kind of in the same boat here, bud. <laughs> we we both went up against teams that didn't have their starting quarterbacks and had a bunch of guys missing. Well, you know, at least in in the case of New Orleans, they lost their quarterback and a bunch of other guys, and they were expected to just blow them out because whatever. And, and it went down to the wire and the Packers obviously went up against a third string quarterback and the Patriots have been struggling all year and all that stuff. So um, yeah, we're, we're kind of in the same boat, but from their perspective, the Packers suck and the Vikings are awesome. And the funny thing is, although the pack, a Packer fan would never admit that to a Vikings fan privately among Packer fans, they'd kind of look at it the same way. You know, we're never going to be able to beat the Vikings. Look at how, you know, they beat the saints. We can barely beat new Orleans or new England. So we, we tend to have more of a negative bent 
you know, if, if the Bears were in the same spot as us, oh my goodness, they would be just, they'd be Super Bowl bound, baby. I mean, they're still hyping up their team. Their team can't do anything. They're still talking about how good this guy is, that guy is. They're picking little things apart here, finding all this stuff. We're, we're a little different. And I can't decide what's better or worse. I mean, I suppose you should support your team. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's nice to not have to have this false hope and believe something that isn't true. And then, you know, because they, they have their fall apart moment where they end up hating their team in a massive way because, you know, things don't turn out the way that they wanted. I don't know, man. And as far as which one was more impressive, I don't know. I mean, it, both teams, the, the the Packers were supposed to win, according to Vegas, by much more than the Vikings were. Now, I don't know how much the line would have moved once the announcement about all the injuries and everything happened with New Orleans, because I know a lot of that came out late. Alvin Kamara and everything came out last minute. Um, a lot of different things popping up for that team last minute. But I, I I'll call it a wash. You know, I don't think either team was necessarily thrilled with the way they won, but are excited that they won. But I, I do think the Packers are a better football team. Maybe not by much, I don't know. But the the I think when we came into the season, the Packers and Vikings were kind of seen as maybe on an even plane. The Packers were a little bit ahead, just in terms of general perception. Since the season began, we've learned definitively the Vikings offense is not as good as as people were expecting. We're also learning that the Packers wide receiver situation isn't as bad as people were expecting, although the narrative continues. But, you know, with Dobbs kind of emerging and, and the, you know, you look at the, again, the explosive plays, just the general st- statistics uh, as far as, you know, total yards gained and everything, how successful the running has been. Um, it's hard to say, considering the Packers were kind of generally seen as a better team. And a lot of the fears about Green Bay has been alleviated the, the expectation of great defensive play is kind of still there, although there's issues, you know, as far as points and everything, people are acknowledging, yeah, it's a good defense. And then the Vikings are not as good as people expect. I don't know how that suddenly then puts the Vikings ahead of the Packers. I know they won week one, big deal. The Packers fell on their face and they still didn't even blow us out. Again, we gifted them all these big explosive plays and they only managed 23 points. That's kind of embarrassing. I mean, the, the Packers defense actually did a pretty good job when you consider you know, you, I, don't, I don't remember the details of it, but let's say we gifted them seven. So what, you got 15 points out of this? Like earned? Because I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is, are you better football players? Because if you're banking on you're going to beat the Packers because hopefully they'll keep making a bunch of mistakes and don't know where they're supposed to stand and who they're supposed to cover, best of luck. The question really is, who has a better collection of football players and a better coaching staff to put these guys in the right position to do the right thing? If, if, if your whole notion of being a better team is that the Packers are going to make lots of mistakes and, and not know what they're doing, that's kind of stupid. Ryan, Chris from Sun Prairie, second-time hey, caller. When I was watching the game, um, it seemed like the Patriots had eight men in the box and one high-safety look most of the time in the first half. And even in passing scenarios, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen defenses do that since like the Brett Hundley era and maybe when Jordan Love filled in for Aaron Rodgers the past couple of years. I'm curious what PFS says, how often they were in the, um, in that formation. And if so, um, it's kind of disheartening that Rodgers wasn't able to break that. I mean, that means the defenses are almost um, using a, a formation that 
suggests we are not going to be good at passing. Thanks, yeah. Ryan. Catch you later. Yeah, and I, I kind of touch on that. I think it's tomorrow's podcast, but and Aaron Rodgers even mentioned it a little bit. One of the things I noticed that the Patriots did, I can't necessarily speak to that. I do know that Aaron Jones has never seen an eight-man box, so they weren't doing it exclusively, that's for sure. But I think Aaron Rodgers even touches on it a little bit. When I went back and watched Watson, again, most of the time they just put him in motion. They don't really utilize him to do much. But in earlier games, it was it was brutal, that motion, because it would, it would cause so much hesitation and so much... Um, displacement of linebackers and safeties and everything and what some teams will do not every time but a lot of times and this is what the patriots did a lot is they would switch to man coverage and the benefit of switching to man coverage is that although this guy has to sprint as fast as he can across the field to account for him in case he ends up getting the ball the linebackers don't have to care and they didn't and a lot of times those runs didn't really go for as much because they're not moving at all so the point is though you now have to be able to beat man coverage you need to be able to to to, to beat these looks because they are daring you. They are challenging you, especially if you're talking single high. Because now we're talking man coverage, and you need to be you, you, we're we're gifting you deep shots. This is calling out your manhood. This 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 is the kind of thing that if if Christian Watson is able to do what we need him to be able to do, you would never do this with with Aaron Rodgers and Christian Watson, a guy that is absolutely going to win one on one in man coverage to be able to get deep. And again, Rodgers does kind of acknowledge that, that, you know, they were giving us some, some man looks and we need to be able to beat that. They took some shots and, and they weren't able to capitalize. The, the, uh, the pass to Christian Watson that was not on target. The pass to Romeo Dobbs that was dropped, right? I mean, they, they took a couple shots that didn't really pay off. And so as, from the Patriots standpoint, it's scary. But if they can't actually convert, then we're okay. But just looking at week four, and again, I don't really understand all of this stuff, but just looking at, for example, cover one. I think that's primarily what we're talking about, right? It's man-to-man coverage across. You've got sort of a, one of the linebackers takes sort of the intermediate, then you've got the deep middle safety. That's just, that's covering, covering deep. Now, I don't have necessarily percentages, but I do have drop back totals. Obviously, if you drop back more often, you're going to have higher totals. However, cover one drop backs Second highest in week four was Aaron Rodgers with 17. The only quarterback that saw more cover one was Matt Stafford with 18. Going back through the weeks, um, Aaron Rodgers in week three was 11th with 12 of his dropbacks. That would have been against the Buccaneers. Strangely enough, Tom Brady was actually number one, so the Packers were doing it a ton to Tom Brady, which again makes sense. Why? We're gearing up to stop the run. Um, Nine dropbacks in week two, that would rank 10th. Week one against the Minnesota Vikings, Aaron Rodgers was tied for the lowest amount of dropbacks with, again, Matt Stafford with one. So the Vikings didn't hardly do it at all. So you're right, there has been a a gradual increase every single week. Now, that could just be based on the schemes that they run. You know, the Vikings don't do that. They use the, the too high, which, you know, we just heard from Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of people is becoming much more prevalent. You know, it's what the Packers like to do. It's what the Vikings like to do. It's that whole Rams thing. I don't know much about it. I just know that it's what they like to do. Patriots went a different route. It's a little less common for what the Packers see, but it's very obvious what it is that they're daring you to do. And, and like you said, they need to be able to, to do it. And, and a, another major component of that is pass rush because, you know, you have to be able to hold them off long enough to get your guys down the field to be able to attack it. And if the pass rush is there, you're not going to be able to do it. And so they're taking away everything short. These things are going to take time. 
And uh, it's, it's going to be tough to beat, and it's going to stress your offensive line. It's going to stress your receivers to be able to get down the field. But if you can do it, they're going to get out of it real quick. Because the one thing that defenses don't want is for you to complete explosive plays. So it's it's a high-risk thing. And that's what, you know, the Packers for years, whether it be Joe Barry, Mike Pettin, Dom Capers, the biggest thing is don't allow explosive plays. We've been hearing that since forever. And so you start getting 20-yard chunks. All right, that was, we we, we, we dared you. You uh, you called our bluff and, and we're done with that now. And we're going to switch it up. But anyways, we're going to end it there. We got Garrett, Tom, and two from Nico. We're going to save those for tomorrow. Thank you guys all for your calls. Really do appreciate that. I'm going to get going to bed. You guys have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. 